With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy and talk. Happy Friday and happy Juneteenth. Uh, Let's start the show off. We have two great guests joining us, but starting it off, we want to do a little thing we like to call ripped. Well, as I mentioned, it is Juneteenth, a day of joy and and pain. And as we're seeing uh, now, national action. And just about any other year, Juneteenth, the holiday that celebrates the day that in 1865, all enslaved black people learned they had been freed from the bondage of slavery. This would be a date normally marked by African-American families across the nation. They would have a cookout, maybe a parade, a community festival, or a soulful rendition of Lift Every Voice and Sing. But this year, in 2020, as the coronavirus ravishes Black America disproportionately, as economic uncertainty wrought by the pandemic strains Black pocketbooks, and as police brutality continues to devastate Black families, Juneteenth is a day of protest. Red velvet cake, barbecued ribs, and fruit punch, well, those are optional this year. For many white Americans, recent protests over police brutality have driven their awareness of the significance of this date, Juneteenth. Quote, this is one of the first times since the 60s where the global demand, the intergenerational demand, the multiracial demand is for systemic change. That's what Cornell University professor Nalui Rooks said, a segregation expert. Quote, there is some understanding and acknowledgement at this point that there's something in the DNA of the country that has to be undone. Today's celebrations are being marked from coast to coast. There are marches and demonstrations of civil disobedience, along with expressions of black joy in spite of an especially traumatic time for this nation right now. And like the nationwide protests that follow the police involved in deaths of black men and women in Minnesota, Kentucky, and Georgia, Juneteenth celebrations are actually remarkably more likely to be this year, more than ever, multiracial. Quote, I think this year is going to be exciting to make white people celebrate with us that we're free. That's what 35-year-old Army veteran David J. Hamilton III said. He organized a Juneteenth march in protest through a predominantly black, Hispanic, and immigrant neighborhood that was in the Brooklyn uh, neighborhood. Uh, Brooklyn uh, is one of the boroughs, five boroughs of New York. Hamilton is African-American. He said this year is his first treating Juneteenth with the same fanfare as the 4th of July or Memorial Day. 
in Tulsa, Oklahoma, one day ahead of a planned presidential campaign tomorrow for Donald Trump. The Reverend Al Sharpton and Tiffany Crutcher, the twin sister of a black man killed by a city police officer in 2016, plan keynote addresses about the consequences of racial prejudice. Their commemoration will take place in the Greenwood District. It's a site known as Black Wall Street. Dozens of blocks of black-owned businesses that were thriving were destroyed by a white mob in Tulsa in deadly race riots nearly a century ago. And you know what? I never learned about that in school, and I went to an excellent public school in the Boston area, and many of you didn't learn about that in school. Some of you, like me, are learning about that or learned about it in recent years are learning about it now. In Washington, D.C., and around Marky Mark Maldi says he doesn't know my executive producer. He didn't know either. And Marky Mark and I are, you know, yeah. And that's why it's so significant that Donald Trump is having the rally there. Some people feel it's like the middle finger to the uh, black community. In Washington, D.C. and around the country, activists affiliated with the Black Lives Matter movement will host in-person and virtual events to celebrate the history of the black liberation struggle and amplify their calls for defunding the police, which doesn't mean no police, in the wake of high-profile police killings of African-Americans. And as of yesterday, organizers with the Movement for Black Lives said they had registered more than 275 Juneteenth weekend events across 45 states. That's what their website shows. Rashawn Ray, a David Rubenstein fellow at the nonprofit public policy Brookings Institution, said many now view Juneteenth as an opportunity for education and to push to dismantle structural racism. He said, quote, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to double down on the push for reparations. There's no reason why black people have been the only group in the United States to be systematically discriminated against legally by the federal government and not receive reparations. By the way, they were promised 40 acres and a mule. As a woman who doesn't break promises, and Marky Mark can attest to that, I pride myself on that. If I make you a promise, I will keep it. And my kids know that. My kids know if I say, I promise we're going to Disneyland. Um, uh, I'm going to keep it. We made a promise. And I understand 40 acres and a mule would not be now in 2020 what it was then. But what would it be? Would it be land? Would it be money? And what would that equivalent be? We need to do the right thing. We need to make it right. This has been a community that has been at a disadvantage. The CAA reported, it came out in San Jose Mercury News, that drugs were pushed into uh, that segment of society. And we know what, what problems that has caused. Not having the same education, not having the same job opportunity, educational opportunities, not having the same opportunity for home ownership, because not just after slavery, but even after civil rights, you know, so people, even after civil rights, people would sell the house to the white family and not the black family, because people would say it would decrease property value because of racism still in the hearts of Americans. There's some Americans feel that way now. My husband has a friend who is Cuban-American. His wife is blonde, as is, is, is Aryan-looking as can be. And she looks like Jessica Rabbit, seriously. She's a very curvy, curvy a girl, an incredible figure. And um, when he moved into his house, he was unpacking boxes. And um, the cops were called. And uh, his friend is Cuban. He also is an African-American that uh, you know had the same simple thing, moved into a new house in a cul-de-sac. And when he asked how many neighbors called, said all of them. You're talking about four or five neighbors in a cul-de-sac. All of them. This is modern day. This is like last year, okay? Anyways, uh, Ray goes on to say, quote, there's no reason why black people have been the only, oh, oh, I mentioned that. Juneteenth marks the day today, June 19th, back in 1865, that Union soldiers told enslaved African-Americans in Galveston, Texas, that the Civil War had ended and that they were free. Can you imagine, after what these people have been through, hundreds of years, to hear that? 
they were free. The Emancipation Proclamation freed the slaves in the South in 1863, but it was not enforced in many places until after the end of the Civil War, two years later, 1865. The day is recognized in 47 states and the District of Columbia, another place that should be a state in my opinion. So only two states don't recognize it, don't have national Juneteenth observation. Uh, and and uh, Hawaii and North Dakota and South Dakota are the only states without an official recognition, excuse me, three states, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii, shameful uh, that they would not. They're a very, very uh, multiracial uh, group of islands and uh, predominantly minorities. Uh, it is not yet a federal holiday. It should be. There's legislation that's been f- put forth. Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, and others have put that forth. And it took roughly 18 years, if you remember, after the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated before his birthday was observed as a federal holiday. The abolition of slavery in the United States was followed by the birth of Jim Crow segregation, relegating many black Americans to poor neighborhoods, uh, redlined neighborhoods. Their schools were under-resourced. Some of that occurs in many black neighborhoods still today. After the passage of that landmark legislation, the civil rights protections in the 1960s, decades of mass incarceration policy and employment discrimination eroded opportunities and economic stability for black people and black families. All along, Police brutality has been a fixture of the black American experience, and now COVID-19 is killing black people at more than three times the rate that it kills white people. Did you hear me? More than three times the rate that it is killing whites. Much of the systemic racism and atrocities visited on black Americans have gone unanswered. This week, the Equal Justice Initiative, which in 2015 cataloged thousands of racial terror lynchings of black people by white mobs, added nearly 2,000 Reconstruction-era lynchings confirmed between 1865 and 1876, bringing the total number of documented lynchings to nearly 6,500. Brian Stevenson, director of the Equal Justice Initiative, says, quote, our continued silence about the history of racial injustice has fueled many of the current problems surrounding police violence, mass incarceration, racial inequality, and the the impact of COVID-19. There were five lynchings in the past few weeks in America, in the United States, this year of 2020. So when I say dates like 1865 or 1876, and you think that was a long time ago, how long ago was last week where there was a lynching outside of the city of Los Angeles? He went on to say, we need a new era of truth and justice in America. We must acknowledge our long history of racial oppression and then repair the damage the history has created, including the presumption of dangerousness that gets assigned to black people by police and others. Juneteenth comes at a time when the nation is at political crossroads. Blacks voters matter. Co-founder Latasha Brown said it is shaping up to be a politically defining moment ahead of this election in November. She said, quote, the devaluing of black lives is built into the American system to the point that the ideas around democracy don't apply to us the same way that they apply to white folks. And she went on to say, so Juneteenth is a celebratory event, but we're not celebrating the country. We're celebrating our own freedom and our own ability to be liberated and the resiliency of black people. We'll be back with more after this. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com.
Leslie Marshall. Welcome. Welcome back. Let me move my microphone a little bit closer so you can hear me better uh, here on the only true democracy and talk. Uh, we continue with more ripped uh, from the headlines uh, after this break. Coming up in the second half of the hour, we have not one but two great guests uh, joining us about the recent uh, Supreme Court decision uh, that was a victory, uh, a little bit of a victory so far for dreamers, uh, and definitely uh, a loss for the president. Uh, let's continue. A Louisville police detective will be fired over the death of Breonna Taylor, who was fatally shot by officers in her home on March 13th. That's according to the city's police chief. She was studying, if you remember, to become a nurse, and she was shot not once but eight times by officers who were conducting a narcotics investigation. There were no drugs found at her home. In a scathing letter to Detective Brett Hankinson by Louisville Police Chief Robert Schroeder, Schroeder said he plans to begin termination proceedings against Hankison over the shooting. He, the chief said he made the decision after reviewing the results of the department's internal investigation. He said, quote, I find your conduct a shock to the conscience. I'm alarmed and stunned to use deadly force in this fashion. The letter said that Hankison violated department regulations by showing extreme indifference to the value of human life when you wantonly and blindly fired 10 shots into the apartment of Breonna Taylor on March 13th. Hankison also violated the department's use of deadly force by firing the rounds, quote, without supporting facts that your deadly force was directed at a person against whom posed an immediate threat of danger or serious injury to yourself or others. In addition, Hankison failed to be cognizant of the direction in which his firearm was discharged and endangered the lives not only of Ms. Taylor, which he took, but the neighbors. Three rounds traveled into a nearby apartment. The letter says Hankinson will have an opportunity with union representatives or counsel to provide the chief with additional information or mitigating factors. The officers involved in the shooting, Hankinson, John Mattingly, and Miles Cosgrove, have previously been placed on administrative reassignment while the shooting is investigated. None have been charged despite widespread calls for their arrest. Kentucky's attorney general pleaded for patience yesterday as his office appointed a special prosecutor in the case weighing a charge uh, in a charging decision. Uh, Kenneth Walker, who was Ms. Taylor's boyfriend, was also in the home that night and fired at police. He was initially charged with attempted murder of a police officer, but that charge was dropped by prosecutors uh, last month in May. He told police he didn't know who was coming into the home and thought he was acting in self-defense. Who can blame him? Madeline was shot in the thigh and recovered. By the way, it wasn't her home. It was a different home they were seeking to enter for the narcotics. It was a mistake. A mistake. How do you tell her family? Oops, sorry. She's dead. Some mistake. Let's rip another. President Trump tweeted today that, quote, protesters, anarchists, agitators, looters, or lowlifes who, lowlifes, hmm, who show up at his Tulsa rally. I can think of a lot of a lowlifes I see out there that are showing up at that rally. I'm sorry, but it, does that apply? Anyway, I digress. Who show up at his Tulsa rally this weekend will not be treated like you have been in New York, Seattle, or Minneapolis, promising, quote, a much different scene. What? Why does this, why does this matter? Well, the right to peaceably assemble is guaranteed in our Constitution. It's called the First Amendment, Donnie. And Trump himself has claimed to be, quote, an ally of peaceful protesters. Well, we know every... He talks out of not just both sides of his mouth, all four. Tulsa has implemented a curfew for the area surrounding the rally site both before and after it is held. The city's order said that individuals from organized groups who've been involved in destructive or violent behavior in other states are planning to travel to the city of Tulsa for purposes of causing unrest in and around the rally. 
The big picture, earlier this month, the president tweeted a baseless conspiracy theory that a 75-year-old protester in Buffalo who was hospitalized after being shoved by police could be an Antifa provocateur. One, he was not. Two, bleeding from the head. Three, has partial brain damage. Four, cannot walk. Five, deathly afraid to leave his home and has had death threats. Just disgusting. I want you to hear me. Those of you listening and those of you watching. If you are not a Make America Great Again fan, you don't have the hat, you don't like the president, and you don't want to attend his rally, I encourage you, I urge you, I beg you, do not be violent. Do not destroy people's property. Do not burn do not loot. Wear your masks. Be peaceful according to the Constitution and your right. Because if you loot, if you burn, if you hit, if you scream, and if you hurt others, you're doing exactly what Donald Trump wants and expects you to do. Prove him wrong. Prove him wrong. If you're going to Tulsa tomorrow, if you're in Tulsa and you're not in agreement with the president, protest with dignity. Protest with dignity. And if you see an antagonist trying to create violence to blame on you, tell the police. Tell the police. Okay? You're not thugs. You're not thugs. Don't act like it. Wear your masks. You want to wear black, fine, but if everybody's wearing black hoodies, sadly, because of the ignorance of many of those people who are attending these rallies, they're going to view you as something and someone that you are not. Show them who you are. You're a proud American who doesn't like what this man is doing to the country and you don't want four more years of it. And by God, if you're going to protest in Tulsa, if you're going to protest in Atlanta, if you're going to protest in Minneapolis, in Los Angeles, or any other city in this great nation, get off your ass and vote in November. Otherwise, it means nothing. Yeah. You hear me? It means nothing. Because you can even say, well, legislation, yeah, the House has passed legislation, over 400 pieces of legislation, and the Senate doesn't even vote on them. You got to vote. You got to vote. Vote for change. Vote for leaders that want what you want. Okay, so please don't prove Donald Trump right because all they're waiting. They're waiting to have the headlines Antifa and the violent liberal left strike again. Don't give it to them. Let's rip another. Speaking of Tulsa, Oklahoma cases of COVID-19 rose by 450 yesterday. That blows past the record of 259 daily cases reported the day before. There was a surge of infections that have continued ahead of this massive rally for the president tomorrow and demonstrations set up for the weekend in Tulsa. Wear your masks. The Oklahoma State Health Department's daily update showed Oklahoma City added 80 cases. Tulsa added 82. The state's total rose to 9,354 and there were two additional deaths. That raises the total to 366. And the figures were released not long after Governor Kevin Stitt participated in a roundtable at the White House. He told Trump that Oklahoma was, quote, one of the first states that is safely and measurably reopened. Oklahoma is ready for your visit. It's going to be safe and everyone's really, really excited. 
stood as spoken about the state's flattening the curve of new cases, the reopening of state businesses since last April that has led to the highest daily case numbers seen in Oklahoma since this pandemic began. So like the guy's butt he was kissing, Governor Stitt is lying as well. New records of case numbers have been set on several recent days in the state of Oklahoma. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the headlines. Coming up, we're going to have a great, not one, but two guests joining us. I hope you'll stick around. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. And we are back. I'm glad to have today. Not one, but two guests. And not just one, but two guests, but two dreamers. The two women joining me today were directly impacted by yesterday's DACA Supreme Court decision. As you recall, the high court ruled that the Trump administration improperly ended the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program uh, that we know as DACA uh, that took place in 2017. Good to have with us our two guests, Maria Praley and Maria Morales. Uh, Maria P. and Maria M., we've already agreed is how we're going to do it. Ladies, thank you for joining me and good to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And it's good to have uh, both of you uh, with us. Um, I I want to uh, introduce uh, both and give the background. Maria Praley is government relations manager for Forward.us or FWE.us. They're a bipartisan political organization that is working to fix the failed immigration and criminal justice systems that have locked too many out of the American dream for too long. She moved here to the United States from Peru in 1999. Machu Picchu is on my bucket list uh, when she was five years old to seek medical treatment for her sister, whose leg was amputated in a car accident. She works at uh, forward.us or fwd.us, focusing on strengthening outreach efforts to elected officials, providing education and resources on immigration policy to congressional offices, and working on special projects related to DREAMers and TPS holders. Now, after moving to Peru, she attended public schools in the state of Connecticut. She earned an associate's degree in liberal arts from Gateway Community College, and then a bachelor's degree in political science from Quinnipiac University, who do great polling. And uh, <laughs> She graduated magna cum laude. Her Twitter handle is at Maria Pirelli, M-A-R-I-A-P-R-A-E-L-I. And the handle for FWD.us is at FWDUS. Now, our other guest is Maria Morales. Maria is a DACA recipient and teacher at Denver Public Schools. Now, at an early age, Maria knew she wanted to become a teacher. And now that her dream is a reality and the future of DACA is uncertain, she fears leaving the classroom and abandoning her students. She moved to the U.S. with her family. She was only 12 years old. My children are 12 and my son turns 13 a week from Sunday. So I know that age well. Her family was seeking a better life filled with opportunities for her and her siblings. She grew up and attended college in Greenwood, South Carolina. But her DACA status prevented her from paying in-state tuition and teaching in South Carolina. This did not deter her, however, from continuing her education and pursuing her dream of becoming a teacher. After graduating college, she decided to join Teach for America and teach in Colorado. Uh, Maria loves the community she's serving. She's built strong relationships with families and students. And uh, in her home is wherever her students are. Ladies, good to have you with us. Um, I appreciate it. I, I want to get... Um, uh, a piece uh, from both of you, and because I introduced uh, Maria Praley first, Maria P. Uh, Ma- Maria P. 
I think some people, first of all, what was your reaction, not just to the DACA decision, but a 6-3 decision? This wasn't just the normal 5-4, but a 6-3 decision. I want to start off with that. Of course. Um, so, so Leslie, actually, it was a five-four decision with. Oh, I thought it was six-three. I'm sorry. That was the earlier case. That was the earlier case on Monday. Um, I, a, a lot of news coming from this week from the court. Um, but the I was I was really overwhelmed. Um, I think that many of us uh, were anticipating for the court to rule um, against us. Um, so for it to be 10 a.m. yesterday, you know, uh, refreshing the Supreme Court's website seeing if they were gonna release our opinion that day and to then see that they had ruled in our favor um, was really overwhelming and victorious. Um, and I was so happy and you know, shedding tears of joy and immediately connecting with other individuals who might know who are also directly impacted. Um, and you know, we know the work continues, but to have been waiting for the past few months, really the past three years, working to protect folks like myself to then win at the highest court in our land um, was just a tremendous feeling. Um, And even though the program is not safe necessarily and the program isn't permanent protections and it doesn't offer any kind of pathway, to know that at least for one more day we have a little bit more stability, um, it feels like a huge weight being lifted off of my shoulders. And I'm sure the shoulders not just of the thousands of DACA recipients around the country, the hundreds of thousands of DACA recipients around the country, but those of our families and our communities, you know, Maria M who's teaching her students um, and so many other folks who have been part of our lives. Um, so still still feeling really joyous um, and grounded knowing that the work continues. Uh, Maria M, I'm gonna ask you and start with the same question. What was your reaction uh, when this, uh, you know, ruling came down, and, and did you believe it? I mean, this is a pretty conservative court compared to courts in the past. Uh, yes, I think I had similar emotions that Maria really had as well, and I think when when I woke up, I woke up a little bit before ten because I knew at ten a.m. that we we're gonna make the announcement, um, and I was ready, and I was just like, okay, is it gonna be today or the next two Mondays that they had? Um, schedule for the decision and um, when I saw the news um, on the Twitter for the Supreme Court I saw the tweet that they they tweeted out and I was I read it and I was like oh my god I can't believe it like we finally won something and this is like um, Maria said this is a victory that I wanted to enjoy in that moment and I felt very happy and as well it's, it's like I could finally breathe a little bit with everything that is going on, the pandemic and all the other situations that are surrounding us. I think um, it was it was so relieving to to hear that. And as well for I texted my friends, my mom called me and she was like, did you hear the news? Like, I'm so happy for you. And to hear from my mom, which she is undocumented, it, it made me very happy. But at the same time, it reminded me that there's still a lot of work to be done for our um, undocumented community. Absolutely. Uh, Maria P., um, you know, both you and, uh, you know, Maria M. have have kind of alluded to, we could take a breath. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about that movie called Waiting to Exhale, but you can't fully exhale. You can take a little breath and it kind of buys a little time. Um, but I want to speak to that. There, there are a couple of things. One, um, the Supreme Court didn't address the legislation as much as um, the Trump administration's 
uh, lack of specifics or a reason, uh, uh, something they felt was reasonable to undo this. And a lot of people thought, myself included, in an election year, the president and his administration would just kind of back off on this because November is a re-election bid. And in the polls, it's pretty tight and the country is very divided. Um, do, do you fear, because the president today uh, even tweeted that he was still going to uh, you know, have them uh, resubmit to the Supreme Court uh, justifications to uh, to defend DACA. Does that concern you? Does that concern you, Maria P? Yeah, uh, it definitely concerns me. Um, but I really want to take a step back. You know, the not just the past three years, but since I've come to the United States, many folks like myself have been living with this uncertainty um, and with this fear of, of what the huge what the future holds for us. Um, it's been very uncertain, and particularly with DACA, you can't plan beyond the two years of the work permit that you're granted. Um, and we knew going into this, we knew that we might not win at the court. And we knew that it maybe if we did win, that there was a very big possibility that the administration would resend the program through another manner. And I think that is really important, that the court did not rule on the legality of the program itself, but it ruled in on the manner in which this administration ended the program. And for them to, you know, when the president tweeted this morning, but for them to once again start this process, submit a new memo, a new policy memo that resents the program through another manner during an election year seems like um, not the smartest political move to make, particularly because we know that immigration generally is a partisan issue, but when it comes to DACA and DREAMers, it is overwhelmingly, uh, it is overwhelmingly um, positive. Um, and there's a ton of public support, right? We know that bipartisan support too. And yeah, so like 78% of voters, including 69% of conservatives who voted for the president in 2016, they say that dreamers should be able to live and work in the United States. And we've, he's been fighting this for three years and we've got, he's gotten nowhere here with, you know, like he lost at the highest court of the land and for him to continue to push this during an election year just doesn't really make sense. And at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, it's, we're we're just trying to live our lives, so let's just let these individuals like me and Maria M continue to live our lives in the country that we call home. Let's put our attention to Congress to try to pass legislative protections that are permanent. But in the meantime, let's not continue to play with our lives. Let's not issue a new memo. Let's not do something that is so overwhelmingly unpopular that it's just going to hurt people at the end of the day. Maria, Maria M., uh, anything you want to add uh, to that? Because in a sense, you know, this is a Band-Aid and we need major surgery. We need Congress to act. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think I find this very concerning as well. And I think um, it wouldn't be the smart thing to do at the moment. And it's it's just not right to do it. Um, we have been we have had DACA for eight years and it's like you say, it's just a bandaid on a bigger issue, which like we need comprehensive immigration reform for all. And this is this is not the solution. And we know that. And we have been been living our lives in uncertainty for the past eight years anyways. So I know that whatever happens, I know our community is going to continue fighting strong and reminding, reminding um, remaining strong and doing everything that we can so that we can continue to fight for everyone. Awesome. Ladies, hold on. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back to both of you uh, right after this. Maria M. and Maria P. Uh, will be back with our two dreamers who've been directly impacted by yesterday's DACA Supreme Court decision. 5-4, not 6-3. Marshall back 
with our two guests, Maria Morales and Maria Preli. Both are dreamers, and we're talking about the direct impact on their lives and on uh, approximately 800,000 dreamers after yesterday's DACA Supreme Court decision when the high court ruled five to four that the Trump administration's improperly uh, trying to end the deferred action for childhood arrivals. We've touched upon the fact that the president has says he will renew his efforts to end uh, DACA protections. Ladies, thank you for holding. Welcome back. I ended with Maria M., so let's go back to uh, Maria P. Uh, Maria P., um, is it and is it and how frustrating for you that Congress doesn't take this up? Because this is sadly you and approximately eight hundred thousand people have become what it seems political pawns. Uh, in, in, in a chess game called elections uh, from both, sadly, Democrats and Republicans, simply because, you know, Congress is not acting on this. There have been efforts in the past, even bipartisan efforts in the past. Uh, but this is a win-win politically. Are you surprised that this just, you know, that there just keep being executive orders and, you know, court decisions and that there is not uh, meaningful, comprehensive immigration reform via legislation? Yes, of course. And, you know, it's been decades since there was a major piece of immigration legislation that has passed. And over those decades, the number of undocumented individuals has grown and we've been stuck. There is no no pathway, right? Oftentimes folks ask me, well, why don't you just get in line? And you have to explain to people that there there is no line to get into right now. And passing comprehensive immigration reform would create that line so that so many of these hardworking individuals who have come to this country, who have built life, who are families, who are members of our communities, who go to church with us, who play with our children, who are our colleagues and friends, you know, so that they can finally get right with the law and adjust their status. But right now, there's no way to do that. And as you said, there's been countless of efforts over the past few decades, bipartisan attempts to pass either comprehensive legislation or uh, smaller legislation to direct uh, directly for people like myself and Maria Morales uh, for Dreamers, but we haven't been successful. And it's particularly when you come to the Dreamers part of it, it's incredibly frustrating because it's so popular. Um, it is so unbelievably popular for such a partisan issue. As mentioned before, like over 80% of voters support this issue. 69% uh, of the conservatives who, who voted for President Trump in 2016 support this issue. So why can't we just get it done? And it's important to note that over the past few years under this administration, when, they, when the conversations have risen about a legislative solution, they've come back trying to use folks like myself as political hostages. They have asked for slash uh, for slashes to immigration levels. They have asked for changes to the border, to asylum, to try to get a lot more for the very little that they're offering. Um, and throughout this whole time, people like me, Maria, and so many others have just kind of been taken on this emotional roller coaster. We don't know what's going to happen with DACA. We hear a bill is coming. You know, we hear tweets from the president. Ultimately, we're just trying to live our life peacefully in the country that we call home. Absolutely. Maria M., Maria P. talked about standing in line and legislation, comprehensive immigration reform uh, for uh, DREAMers. Many, you know, people, you know, propose or, you know, talked about, you know, a process where, whereas you would stand in line. Do, do you feel uh, coming here at 12 years of age, teaching other Americans' children uh, that you should have to stand in line? I mean, do you, do, you, do you feel that, you know, maybe there should be, uh, you know, legislation that just says enough already uh, starting today? You know, you have been a productive member of the society. You are an American. Let's truly make you American. Uh, and is, is that even realistic or am I being a dreamer in, uh, in even proposing that? 
Well, I'm just, I just have a question, like, where is the line? Where does it start? I don't think there's such a line because there's people that have been waiting for so many years and nothing has happened. And um, it's not like we are jumping the line or anything like that. We're just asking for a like comprehensive immigration reform or a pathway to citizenship because there's so many of us that have been here for I have friends that have been here for like since they were months old. Yes, I got I came here when I was 12. I grew up here. I went to school. I interacted with so many people as I'm still in touch with some of my teachers from high school and middle school as well. And it's like this is home for us. This is what we call home. And we just want to, um, as Maria, Maria Parelli said, we just want to live peacefully and have just don't live without fear and I think for me uh going back to my reaction from yesterday how I felt I felt relief but that at the same time I felt like I wasn't as afraid as I was before because I knew that uh change is coming and that we together we're making the change that we want to see so I do believe that a lot of people are being affected by this decision and in a positive way, but also we don't know what's coming. We don't we don't want to continue living in the certainty, and that's why we need a permanent solution with a pathway to citizenship for all. Uh, Maria Maria P. P. Uh, do you think because eight hundred thousand dreamers are mostly uh, younger, you know, um, in age, uh, you know, they're mostly you know under what thirty five. Um, do, do you think that there are those, especially in the Republican Party, that fear that if you all become citizens, that's 800,000 Democratic votes, perhaps? I mean, does that is that part of what stops this? I mean, I'm a Democrat. I'm not trying to make the Republicans out to be the bad guys on this. Democrats haven't passed this legislation either. Um, but do you think that some of the hesitancy on the right, especially when they see people in their own party uh, supporting a pathway to citizenship for dreamers? I can't really answer that question. I think that there's probably uh, a number of different um, reasons why why uh, members don't come to don't support this. Um, I think some of it also has to do with the tone that this administration has set um, and with how they've been leading when it comes to immigration. It's not just ending the DACA program, but it's many other changes that they've made that have made it harder, not just for people like me and Maria Morales to live in the United States, but for people to legally enter the country in legal immigration. Um, so I think a lot of it also just comes from that tone. Um, and also we're just so stuck in this in this back and forth. Um, and we talk to people, you know, who privately say, yes, we support you, but I'm scared to do this because of my reelection. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of fear um, when it comes to immigration. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty, um, and sometimes uh, politicians are just too scared to engage, um, and that's very unfortunate because, again, you know, the polling is there, um, and the stories are there, um, and it's their job to do this kind of hard work, um, yet we've been living for over three decades without any kind of meaningful immigration legislation being passed. Well, Maria M., um, how does it feel? I don't know what it feels like. I was born here, but I'm a mother. And I know that at 12, where my children are now, or when they were five, like uh, when Maria P. came here, they do what their parents are told. And if I move, if we move from our house today, they may be sad, but the new house becomes their house. And that's the house, the only house they know, and that is their home. Can you describe, uh, Maria M., to people listening, um, what, what it feels like, in a sense, to live in a country that really isn't, you're not, nobody's allowing it to truly be your country. What is that like? 
there's a lot of emotions going on, you know, uh, sometimes you feel unwelcome, sometimes you feel afraid to speak out, sometimes you don't want to be in certain places because of the environment that is around you or the looks that you're getting. Um, but I always go back to my family and my family's here. So that's what they make America home because my family is here. And uh, when I look at my students, uh, uh, that has been my calling. That has always been my calling. I always wanted to be a teacher since I was little. And I see them and I see a purpose for me to be here for them. Um, and I'm really happy that I get to do that because they are allowing me into their lives and I get to show them a little bit of who I am and what makes me human and I get to learn from them as well. Um, but overall, I would say that I, even if there's a bad moment where I'm afraid or I'm not feeling welcome, I always look back and remind myself of my family and that I'm home. Maria P., um, what can people do that are watching and that are listening? Because there are people out there that say, what can we do? You know, I mean, this keeps going to the court, the politicians. What can we, the people do, we, the taxpayers? So I think it's, again, important to state that while we won at the Supreme Court yesterday, that the program itself is not safe and that the program was a Band-Aid. It was never permanent. It was never intended to be permanent. Um, a very small percentage of the undocumented community benefits from the program. So we need to continue to call upon Congress to pass legislation, um, uh, to pass legislation that provides a permanent legislative solution for folks like me and Maria Morales. Um, we need to make sure that they pass legislative solutions that provides a pathway to citizenship for a larger undocumented community. Um, and we need to continue to call on this administration and President Trump to not resend the program through another way. That's a very important thing. He's uh, like tweeting about it. It seems like they, the agencies are preparing to issue a new memo any day now. So we need to use our collective voice and our collective platforms to make sure that he doesn't resend it through another way, remind him that it's not politically smart to do so, and to just put this issue at rest. You know, there's no need to continue attacking DACA recipients, particularly during an election year. Um, so let's work on making sure that he doesn't get rid of the program another way, and let's also work to make sure that our representatives pass a comprehensive solution to, to fix the whole issue once and for all. Awesome and perfect timing. Ladies, uh, gracias, mi amigas. Uh, thank you for being with me today. Yes, I speak very bad Spanish with a heavy gringa accent, but <laughs> I'm glad to have both of you with us today. Thank you for taking thank the time. You so much for making the space. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, thank, you. thank you. I, pre I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Bye -bye. And thank you to Mark Maldi, my executive producer, who without him, I, in this program, would never be possible. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. 
Visit michiganlottery.com to add a little play to your day.